The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Selected Verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that, you may go, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Jim, and I add my welcome to Keith's. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here. I look forward to meeting you. I'm glad you're here today with us to worship the Lord. We are studying the book of Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy brought us to the Ten Commandments, and we slow down to go through them one by one. We are nearing the end of our study. I hope by now you've, you've realized the Ten Commandments are not some fit of divine legalism. They're a gift of divine design. It's a gift of love. God's telling us how he made us to function, how he made us to live, to flourish according to his fashion and his design. And so it's a great gift. It's a convicting gift. I, I'm reminded now of why the Westminster Divines, why those who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism, they emphasize for discipleship. If you want to be discipled, then understand the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer more and more deeply, and that's your path. It's quite brilliant and simple and deep and lovely. Hopefully you found that in our study of the Ten Commandments. It's thorough, it's convicting, it's comforting, it, it calls us to something rich and good. Let's pray that just as we heard, I heard the voice of Jesus say, come. Let's pray that we will now come to Jesus underneath his word and, and hear him speak. Let's pray. We now obey you, Lord, and we come. We come to you under the power of your spirit, under the authority of your word. We come. We do not come as righteous. We do not come as perfect. 
We do not come as those deserving. We come by grace, mercy, love. We come expectant that you'll form us as your people. So come now, Lord, and speak, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name, amen. The age in which we live is the information age. That's a gift and a problem. One of the main problems of the information age is the propagation of lies at a level that we may have never known. We may not even know the amount of lies that we're swimming in that are propagated through all the channels of information, social media, on and on. David Brooks, New York Times columnist in a recent lecture at Westmont College, identified just some of society's lies that we find ourselves swimming in. I'll just give you a few. I can be self-sufficient. I can make myself happy. Life is an individual journey. Find your truth. Follow your heart. People who have achieved more are worth more. You are what you accomplish. Just some of the lies that we find ourselves swimming in. But we also live in a time when truth feels so elusive. How do we know what's true? It feels like in the information age, given a lot of truth, or our cynicism only grows about what might be true. Our skepticism grows over if we're being told the truth. Conspiracy theories seem to abound here and there. And Mark Twain's comment maybe has never been more true than now. He said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Don't you find ourselves, you feel like you're tricked or duped, you, you think you're operating on one thing, you find out it ain't so, you're swimming in an ocean of lies via the information age and on and on. And now here our God says, thou shalt not bear false witness. He presents the priority of truth. The intention of this commandment first is based on our God who does not lie. And our God, who does not lie, intends to form a truth-telling community that will show who he is. We are to reflect God, or as we say, glorify God. Our words, our thoughts, our actions are to point people not to us, but to what is true about our God. And Jesus said it very plainly, I am the way, the truth and the life. We are a people who follow the God of truth. Jesus, as he prays in John 17, prays, sanctify them by the truth, and then he prays, your word is truth. We are a people who are to be a truth-telling community reflecting our God who does not lie, our Savior who said he is the truth, the word of God which is the truth. 
That is our main task. Our God is not a God who deceives us. Our God speaks plainly, speaks truthfully, speaks clearly to us. We are to embody that. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, as I reflected on it this week, really insightful. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. When you read the list, you quickly realize that every one of them at some level is a breaking of the ninth commandment. The first thing he hates, haughty eyes. That's pride, that's arrogance that believes you know the truth about everything in everybody and everywhere. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, that would be a matter of injustice. And as we'll see, the ninth commandment is actually showing God commits to safeguard justice because the command is actually given in a courtroom. No false witnesses against your neighbor, which all we need in the church to be a church for justice, to stand against injustice is the ninth commandment. I don't need a political party. I don't need another agenda. I need the ninth commandment. God's a God of justice. He creates communities safeguard against injustice, shedding of innocent blood. And then fourth, a, a heart that devises wicked plans. And fifth, feet that make haste to run to evil. What shapes your running, what shapes your plans is not truth, it's lies. It's not righteousness, it's wickedness, a violation of the ninth commandment, a false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers, discord sown by things that are not true or they're false. Really quickly, you should see six things, no seven the Lord hates. They're all connected to lies. See, our God is the God of truth who does not lie. Satan is called by Jesus, the father of lies. And so the command is given to us that we might reflect him. Just as Jesus ascended in Acts 1, you'll remember that he told his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my what? Witnesses, testifiers, those who give true witness to what? The gospel, a truth-telling community that tells the truth of Jesus and the good news, not just locally, but in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, as we'll talk about this week at our World Missions Conference, all over the world, a truth-telling community that is propagated. The church is to be an apologetic. The church is to be a case for the God of truth. Let's just be honest. In these recent days, the the church finds itself very distrusted. It finds itself as an institution that people are scorning for its lack of truthfulness, its lack of transparency, its presence of deceit, manipulation, and cover-up. Not categorically across all boards, but just read your news, read your Christianity today, read what's being said out there of the church. Why? In our lack of truthfulness, we've lost trust. And when you lack trust, you unravel a community. Lewis Smedes said as much about the ninth commandment, hear this, without trust, there's no community. And without truthfulness, there's no trust. It's truthfulness that creates trust. 
And listen to this. Trust is the invisible fiber that holds human communities together. Why is our nation unraveling? An absence of truthfulness that's led to an absence of trust. Why do people view the church in this day as they do? There's been an absence of truthfulness that's been, that's led to an absence of trust and trust is that fiber. So do you see? God creates something. He intends to create a truth-telling community that reflects who he is. That's the intention of the commandment. But the meaning of the commandment is both specific in a context. It has negative implications, positive and broad. First, specific. It's given in a courtroom. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right, so in that time of courts, you didn't have forensics. You didn't have fingerprints. All you had is witnesses. You had testimony. When I went to Israel last summer, we went up to the tribe of Dan and we saw at the city gates where the person would sit in judgment and call the witnesses to bear. The presence and the testimony of a witness was of paramount importance if you were going to be a just community. And so the setting of this command is certainly the courtroom and literally it calls against vain or worthless witnesses. Why? Because false witness could lead to somebody losing their life unjustly, being punished unjustly. That's the context, it's the courtroom, it's a safeguarding of justice. But as the confession, the Heidelberg Catechism says, it's in the court and everywhere else. And we've learned that, right, in the Ten Commandments. What they say on the surface, there's always more depth to them. You shall not murder I, if you hate. You've violated this. You shall not commit adultery if you lust. And here it extends beyond the courtroom into all of life. Negatively, what does this command mean? This command rejects all forms of lying, deceit, slander, gossip, and destructive words. As John Calvin says, there are few who do not notoriously labor under this disease. He's right. We break this commandment anytime we don't believe the truth, distort the truth, twist the truth, propagate untruth, and do it all against someone's good name to harm their reputation and to injure them. I only want to visit three for the sake of time. For our consideration of repentance, gossip number one. As I was considering this passage in these three, I ran into a friend from out of town who was a pastor this week. He was in Chattanooga. So what are you preaching on? I said the ninth commandment. He said, oh, the church doesn't need any of that, do we? We do. We have begun to mirror far more of the world. Just consider these three areas, gossip, slander, and condemning rashly or without a hearing. Gossip. It's when you pass along a report or a rumor that is not yet substantiated, or maybe even you pass along something that's true, but it's not yours to tell or share. Gossip is also when you're silence in the face of it and don't stop it or redirect it or confront it. See, the truth-telling community would put those things to death. Proverbs 18.8 speaks of gossip. It says this, the words of a whisperer 
The Bible, when it refers to gossip, it refers to them as whispers. That's why in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it speaks about the sin of whispering, which we found hilarious because people whisper in church all the time, you know, like, we can't say that, you know, be, be careful you, you clarify that. It's actually gossip. It's, it's spreading of things that are not yet fully substantiated, maybe even are true, but are not yours to share. So Proverbs 18, eight says, the words of a whisperer, listen to this, are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Here's what's true about gossip because of our sinful human nature. It's delicious and tasty. But it goes deep and I promise you this, it's poison. Not only to the one to whom it goes into, but to the community to which it spreads. It's absolute poison. Slander is spreading what you know to be false. Slander assumes the worst motives of the person you spread lies about. Matthew 15 puts slander in a list of scandalous sins. Slander spreads rumor of what is false and damages the reputation of the people it speaks about. Thus, Martin Luther would say, reputation is quickly stolen, but it is not quickly returned. We must be ever so careful about how we talk about our neighbor. And when we know what we're saying is false, we must repent not only to God, but to the person and even to the community in which we spoke it. Assuming motives, condemning rashly or without a hearing. The disciples did this in John 9. They came upon a boy who was blind and they asked Jesus the question, who sinned? They moved to rash judgment and Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. Neither this boy nor his parents have sinned. We see things, we make rash judgments, we assume we're right because of haughty eyes and pride. We think we're the arbiters of truth. We know everything about everything and we can make judgments. And isn't that our problem? We rush to judgment about people's motives, about condemnation of people rashly. As we do this, we... We rush to judgment about what people think about us. We rush to judgment about what people are saying about us or who's doing what or what they mean behind X, Y, and Z. I was reminded this week of Skip Ryan, a pastor, a friend, and shared really from the depths of his woe how God helped him reorient. He asks himself three questions every day. I give them to you, just the first two. I'll give you the third at the end. First question he asks is, Really, the first statement he makes is, what you think of me is none of my business. Isn't that a great way to live out the ninth commandment? The second thing he says is, what I think you think of me will kill me. Because I won't be living according to truth. I don't know. It's lies. It's conjecture. It's subject to being wrong. And so if I begin to live in that and entertain it, it'll eventually kill me. What you think of me is none of my business. What I think you think of me will kill me. And that's the nature of living in a gossip and slander and rash condemning world. We have to be careful. Positively, the command promotes integrity, transparency, and honesty as essential ingredients of biblical community. The Heidelberg Catechism said it. I should love the truth. I should speak it candidly. I should openly acknowledge it. 
and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. All the positives we should do, we should speak words that are true, words that are thrifty, slow to speak, quick to listen, words that are timely. Is it apt? Is it wise? I was watching The Crown, season five. The queen mother gave counsel to Diana. Beautiful counsel, wise counsel. She said this about communication and words. She said, you need to ask yourself three questions. Does it need saying? Does it need saying now? Does it need saying by me? Those three questions might actually help us keep the ninth commandment. Those are really good, thoughtful questions. But not only is the positive implication to propagate what is true, to love truth, to speak it candidly, to openly acknowledge it, is to believe on truth, is to meditate on truth, is to think on truth, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, 8, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if any, there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think one of the reasons we're struggling to embody a truth-telling community is because we're not meditating on truth. We're not meditating and believing and saturating in what is noble and what is good and what is wise and what is sure. We're living and swimming in lies and falsehoods and half-truths and conspiracies. No wonder we're failing to reflect our God who does not lie, who is not full of deceit and who is the truth. After all, when you think broadly about this commandment, this is really important. You never sin without breaking the ninth commandment. I hope when we're done in a few weeks, you're gonna realize I actually never sin without breaking all 10 of the commandments every time. I am a deep sinner in need of a savior. How do you never sin without breaking the ninth commandment? It's because all sin rejects truth, behaves according to lies, and then often seeks to, dis- to hide and cover up the sinful behavior, deceit. Do you see how all of our sin is a, is a result of the ninth commandment and breaking it? You know, and it makes sense, right? The first sin, what happens? God, Satan comes and says, did God really say? Jesus says he's the father of lies. He's the twister of truth. He takes and says, God didn't really say that. You don't have to act on that. You don't have to believe on that. And so whenever we propagate lies, whenever we propagate gossip, slander, whenever we propagate something contrary to the truth-telling community, you know what we're doing. We're doing the work of the devil, not the work of our Redeemer must become a truth-telling community that's careful. A case study of this is in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 4, just before this scene, a man called Joseph, who the apostles called Barnabas, uh, a Levite, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then there's a contrast. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Verse 1, no problem, Ananias and Sapphira. You sold a piece of property. Way to go. Congratulations. Now your obligation has come before the Lord and seek to glorify him with whatever decision you make. You don't have to give all of it. 
You don't have to give half of it. You, you don't have to give any of it if the Lord doesn't lead you unto his glory, but you need to consider it before him. And, and so, verse two, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And later we'll learn in the conversation with Sapphira, what happens is he told him he had given him the entire proceeds and he had only given him a little bit. He lied. Why did he lie? Probably to propagate a righteousness that's false in light of Joseph who did a really good thing. How can I look like an outstanding member of this community? And he lied because he really didn't want to give it all, but he wanted to look as though he had. And so Peter says to Ananias, watch, the father of lies, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now notice, every lie against a person is a lie against God. Ananias could have said, I didn't lie to the Holy Spirit, I lied to you. And he said, no, you lied to God first. And you kept back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. It's the, the, the starkest picture of church discipline in the Bible. You lied, you die. And Sapphira dies. Why do we have this in our scriptures? I believe it's to tell us that lying is a sin against God, first and foremost. Lying is always connected to the devil and his schemes. And third, their death is a preview of the judgment that sinners deserve for lying. And Jesus says as much in Revelation 21. After saying, behold, I'm making all things new, he says in Revelation 21, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. I hope and think by the power of the Spirit, maybe today you're convinced you're a liar. That would be a good thing. That would be a true thing. But I hope you hear and see the story of Ananias and Sapphira and hear the words of Jesus or even hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 15 who says, who shall live on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly does what is right and speaks truth in his heart and does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. So how do I get that? How, me, a liar, am I not condemned to fire? How, me, a liar, am I not condemned to the same thing that Ananias and Sapphira received? Well, there is hope. And it's in the one, the truth, who died on the cross to set liars and hiders free. And don't miss, he was convicted on false charges. His entire case was a breaking of the ninth commandment. Matthew 26, 59 through 61, the chief east and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. He didn't say that. They're twisting his words. They're fabricating to take him out. In John 2, 18 through 19, 
The, the Jews asked, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And he said to them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. You destroy this temple. That's what he, he didn't say, I will destroy this. He said, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it again. Speaking of his body. They twisted his truth. The one who is the truth endured a sham trial at night with false evidence and was declared guilty for you and I who are. And he went to a cross and he died taking the punishment we deserve seen in the story of Ananias and Sapphira so that you and I could be set free. Liars and hiders like us might be set free and formed. I wanna tell you about John 18. You remember that? Peter entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door and the servant girl said to him, you also are not one of them, this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. When Jesus' best friends lied. He lied. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I'm not. Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and the rooster crowed. Three times he lied. Standing around a fire, he lies. Luke says, he wept bitterly. Here's Peter. Maybe this is you. you. All you have is your lies. Your guilt, your shame, your sorrow, your aloneness with your lies, your hiding, covering up, deceiving in your life. Then something beautiful happens in John 21. Simon Peter said to his friends, I'm going fishing. Because you know when you're lost and desperate and guilty, you usually go back to what's familiar. They said to him, we'll go with you. Got out on the boat, caught nothing that night. And just as day was broken, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. He said to them, children, do you have any fish? No. Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they, they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, John said to Peter, it's the Lord. Think about Peter. He'd been living alone with his lies. Guilt and shame. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he, he put on his outer garment and he stripped and threw himself into the sea like Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan. Now the disciples made it to land and... Um, there's another fire. The last fire we had seen Peter at, he was lying. And now Jesus is risen. He's cooking fish. He says, come have breakfast. What 
What is the hope for liars? Breakfast with Jesus. The crucified, risen Jesus. There's no other hope. They sit there, they eat, he restores them. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you see, that's where liars find forgiveness and hope. That's where liars begin to answer, ask the question, what's true about me? And rather than saying, I'm a liar, damned, they say, I'm loved. He loves me. What lies must Peter have been believing? I'm done, I'm no good, I failed, I'm beyond, beyond forgiveness. And then he hears the invitation of Jesus with fish on the grill. Come have breakfast, I love you. Now when you're forgiven like that with all your lying and your hiding, it doesn't just leave you there, it forms you. It shapes you. Look at Peter's life after that. And we have to become formed by the forgiveness we have in Jesus. That the truth died on the cross to set liars and hiders free. It must form us then into a truth-telling community. Because we can finally tell the truth, which is, I'm way worse than you think I am. And I'm way more loved than you could ever know or imagine. It's only in Jesus. And so Jesus in John 16, before he goes away, his disciples are going, we don't know what we're going to do without your body. And he says, well, I'll tell you what you're going to do. I'm going to send you my spirit. He's called the spirit of truth. And he's going to teach you what's wrong, sinful judgment. He's going, to, he's going to be the one to tell you that's not right. That's a lie. And you need to listen to him and depend on him. That's the formation. John 8, he says, My disciples, they'll know the truth. And listen to this, the truth will set them free. But as that great theologian Ted Lasso says, before the truth can set you free, it has to tick you off. How often are you being ticked off by the truth? Like, oh, that got me, that confronted me. Now I've got to change. That's the way to formation. That's the spirit bothering you. And so those who are forgiven become formed into Ephesians 4.25 those who say, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we're members one of another. George Orwell said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. I pray we'll become a revolutionary community, a truth-telling community in a time of universal deceit. But to do this, we're gonna have to hear the third statement from Skip. What you think of me is none of my business. What I think you think of me will kill me. The only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks of me. And he's fond of me. You believe that? will form into a revolutionary truth-telling community. Here today, liars and hiders, Jesus says, come have breakfast. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for the grace of Jesus. We're so thankful that we can share the story of Peter the ones who know the crucified, risen Lord and are more defined by his truth than our shame and our sin.
We ask that this week you would help us to think upon truth, what you think of us. We ask this week you'd help us to see the lies we so easily believe and to lay them down, to fight them, to put them aside. Make us into that truth-telling community because we are both forgiven and we're being formed by the Spirit. We ask this for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.